Bond. James Bond. Bond. James Bond. Bond. James Bond. Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Welcome to No Time to Die, the official James Bond podcast. With me, James King. Six different actors have played James Bond in the official films, a series spread over the last six decades. In this episode, we'll speak to producers Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli on how they came to choose Daniel Craig for the role as the latest 007. Writers Neil Purvis and Robert Wade on reworking the character for Casino Royale and the cast on working with Daniel. Yes, we're all aware No Time to Die is Mr. Craig's last outing as James Bond. So when I met up with him, I started by taking him back to his first Casino Royale. What was it like getting the role? Yeah, I was. We were in Baltimore, that's right. And um, I shot off to go and do a screen test, which of course I couldn't tell anybody about, and came back and carried on filming um, in, in Baltimore. And then, you know, I got a phone call from Barbara saying, the gig's yours. What was going through your mind when you heard you got the role? It was a long process. I mean, it was about a year between that and me sitting down with Barbara and Michael for the first time. I sort of, it it was sort of from the moment that it came about, it was sort of, it was mainly just sort of, (laughs) sort of like, disbelief of like really 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 I mean it's like I kind of couldn't kind of get my head around any of it and still didn't really believe it I was in I was in the supermarket buying groceries and the phone went and Barbara said over to you kiddo and I was like okay right I mean I got drunk that's what I did I went and bought a bottle of vodka and a bottle of vermouth and a cocktail shaker and made myself three or four vodka martinis I mean, come on. Well, there's no better response, is there? Uh, yeah, except I could only do it on my own because I, well, I, I couldn't celebrate with anybody because I had to keep it secret. So so it was, it, there was a sort of melancholy to it. It's like me drinking, I'm James Bond. <laughs> it's like, it's, what do you do? Um, but it was, it was, it was, you know, even the first day of shooting was like the moment, I suppose, when I went, okay, now we're doing this. But up until then, everything else was just like, just uh, uh, like, I, I couldn't quite get it. I mean, it was like, it, it, I couldn't really take it in. And presumably with each film that, oh, oh, the, the magic never goes away, but obviously you just become more comfortable with it, more used to it. You'd think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, yes and no. I, I still get, uh, you know, I get such a thrill out of going to work every day. And there are problems to solve. I mean, big, big problems in movie world. I mean, not in fucking life world. So I'll keep, like, can I swear on this one? Is a podcast? Can you swear on a podcast? Yeah, no. I think we can swear. No, on well, it. I won't swear. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> there's always like you know, there's always things to fix, to always things to figure out, and that is hard work, but very, very, very rewarding work. And that gets me going every day. That's what kind of you know, kind of um, um, just gets me out of bed. It's 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 the movie business. This isn't this isn't brain surgery, but it's complicated and you want to, what all that matters is that we're trying to set out and we all set out obviously to make the best movie we can. Carrie came on board and we 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 we, we had some ideas and they were very strong ideas, but we still had to sort of fill in the rest and that's just the way it is. And in fact that was all the way through filming. We were constantly adjusting and readjusting the script and and just trying to get it trying to get it right. So you have a lot of inputs 
in the script and what goes on and what happens? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I well, you're going to get that on other films. I mean, this is a luxury. Um, I'm invested in this in a way that I probably wouldn't be on other films in the sense that I'm, you know, this is, you know, I, I'm front and center. Um, I have to sell it. I have to go out there and I have to convince people that this is something I believe in and I believe in it because I love it. But I, 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 I'm, I'm really very, very aware of the legacy of these films and what they are and how they've affected people's lives and how they've affected my life. And I want to keep going. And I'm like, you have to get this. This is this is an. Inc you know, I'm incredibly fortunate to be making films of this size. There are very few people get to actually do this, and I'm very aware that if you get to do a chance to do something like this, you've got to do it. You've got to really grab it and do it. And and that that's a that's a that's a responsibility. But that's a you know how lucky am I? If we don't do this. There will be nothing left to save. I spoke to Carrie and he talked about this, I think about 600 crew members that are involved in this movie um, and saying, of course, you can't really single anybody out. Um, but I'm wondering if for you, there's somebody... Did he? he didn't. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't say that. But I'm wondering if there's anybody in particular that you've you've worked very closely with over the series or maybe just for this movie that, you, you know, you you would like to sort of bring into the spotlight because these are people behind the scenes who don't often There get. are many. I mean, Chris Corbett is one that always comes to mind. Chris, Chris takes care of, you know, we do things or try and do things as much for real in Bond um, because that's what they've always done and that's what will main, make audiences, I think gives audiences a thrill. We we shy away from effects. We use effects, but we use them sparingly and we use them to enhance as opposed to sort of tell the story. And Chris is all about the physical effects. So all, the, all of the... Um, the DB5s, what they do, all of the gadgets in the DB5, all the explosions, all of the bullet hits, and then the sets. So the set where, and it was a set, and it was a live, and it was a full-size set, um, where the uh, the tube train comes crashing through the roof, was a, was a full-size tube train crashing through a roof into a, we did that, and Chris designed it. At Pinewood. At Pinewood, and it's one of the most extraordinary things. The other thing he did was um, uh, was the, the sinking house in Venice, which was a sinking house on the Bond stage, which a house that sank into 20 foot of water, and uh, and that's where Ava drowns and all of those things. And then because it's on hydraulics, it comes up back out again and resets, and we go again, and we can do that all day long. And, that's, and he does that, um, and he's magic magic and you know uh, without him bond and most of the bonds that you've seen would not be as um, um as as, a, as amazing and and, uh, and just thrilling as they are it's um and his brothers in the industry as well isn't yeah, it Neil? i think the whole family is yeah. yeah yeah that's pretty impressive there was um a nice quote i read in an interview with you um and I think Which it was a, a change it was <laughs> well actually I'll, I'll clarify that it was you were quoting one of your teachers, mm. um, I think it was uh, Declan, and you said, uh, he always said, you can't get bitter about things. And there's mm. a sort of a motto that you've continued to live by. And I'm wondering about, presumably that was when you were studying or? or yeah, no, it was, it was, I was at, it was at Guildhall and Guildhall, Declan yeah. Donald came in and gave us a, um, I wish he'd been a teacher of mine. I mean, he was a teacher of mine actually. I mean, I, cause I went on to work with him, but um, he, um, um, he gave us a talk, a long talk, but that was the thing. He said many, probably very interesting things about acting, and I don't remember any of them, clearly. <laughs> but I remember that, and I thought, that's right, isn't it? You've got to 
bitterness will, he just said, bitterness will destroy you. Um, and because it's, it's very competitive acting, as any, any actor will tell you, and very disappointing most of the time. Um, and, 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 and unfortunately, there are a lot of unemployed actors and a lot of actors out there who are struggling. And, you know, my heart is with them because I've been there. I've been exactly there. And I just maintain that, you know, you just got, you've got, you've got to sort of not let A, other people's success bother you. I'll be bothered by it. In fact, you've got to celebrate it. You know, your friends of yours get jobs and things like that. It's just like, well done, well done, get it. Because that informs you and, and, and keeps your, you know, your sense up. And as soon as you sort of get into the kind of, I could have done that, or I would have been better at that, you're sort of done, it's all over. You're kind of in a, you're, you're chasing your tail. But you've been in that position where I'm guessing other people would have been looking at you going, oh my God, he's got yeah. the Bond role. You know, we're really jealous they of They hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I am sure, and I, I, you know, but I, having been on the other side, just as much, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of it, and, but also that just pays into, to, you know, how grateful I feel about the job I do. I mean, it's like I've kind of, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't feel the same way if I hadn't kind of, you know, struggled for a while. Let's hear from some of the cast on what it's been like working with Daniel Craig over the past five films. Up first is James Bond's CIA ally, Felix Leiter, played by Jeffrey Wright. You know, I think Daniel and I kind of get one another as actors and we trust one another. And and in fact, we were working on a film called The Invasion uh, when he was cast as Bond. We were in D.C. and Baltimore and, uh, and you know, the word... Uh, came out that uh, that he had he was going to be the next bond so uh, I, w- I was with him uh, you know from the very beginning of this process of this journey for him and so when you know when I was asked to uh, to be a part of Casino Royale we had already obviously established something of a relationship and you know I felt that I had a little bit of an insider's you know uh, you know insider's uh, uh, advantage on things and you know we just you know we just uh we just get in there and we enjoy you know you know what we do for the most part and uh we enjoy doing it together and money pennies naomi harris the moment where i was just really blown away by bond was when i saw casino royale and Daniel's reinvention of the role of Bond and seeing a more human side of Bond, a sensitive Bond, a Bond that could fall in love, this whole romantic relationship that's played out in Casino Royale between Vesper and Bond. And I just remember being really drawn into that and uh, being left feeling like my heart was really touched. And I'd watched Bond movies in the past and loved them, but I'd loved them because they were glamorous, because there was adventure and humour and all of those kind of things. But And I'd always sort of left feeling exhilarated but I hadn't left with my heart being touched and Daniel changed that you know he made it a movie where you are emotionally moved as well. One thing I was really pleasantly surprised by is just how involved he is in in the character you know and you think franchise movies that have been going for this long it's not always going to be that case but he is so involved in who James is. He is so involved and he cares so passionately and he understands so deeply who this man is it's it's really extraordinary to see it really is and I mean that's why you know they desperately wanted him back to to do No Time to Die I think you know it's it's a really tough thing to think who could possibly be the next Bond but if someone will find them it'll be Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson they'll find that person let's look back at those who have played the legendary character in the past 60 years 
Sean Connery was the first actor to play James Bond on the big screen, debuting in Doctor No in 1962, working on the next four films, From Russia With Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, and You Only Live Twice in 1967. Uh, just a drink, a martini, shaken, not stirred. George Lazenby took over the helm for one film in 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Money, Penny, what will I do without you? My problem is that you never do anything with me. Today, the moment I get back. Sean Connery returned for one last outing in 1971's Diamonds Are Forever before Roger Moore became our next James Bond. Roger played the secret agent in seven films, the most of any actor, from 1973's Live and Let Die to 1985's A View to a Kill. Oh, does that mean you're not staying the night? I was hoping we'd spend the evening together. Now I shall be all alone. Hmm. I doubt that. Timothy Dalton succeeded Roger Moore in 1987's The Living Daylights and 1989's Licence to Kill. Miss Kennedy, would you get me a medium dry vodka martini? What a Shaken, I... not stirred. Pierce Brosnan's tenure as Bonds lasted seven years, spanning four films, from 1995's GoldenEye to 2002's Die Another Day. Vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. And for you? The same. How do you take it? Straight up, with a twist. With each new Bond film comes new challenges. A different actor brings a new spin on the character, however well we think we know him. Screenwriters Neil Purvis and Robert Wade told me how they changed things when Pierce Brosnan left and a new Bond was on the horizon. Well, the interesting thing about that period was that we went into doing Casino Royale without knowing that Daniel was going to be Bond. So we wrote that for a kind of... Fleming Bond. You knew it heads. wasn't going to be Pierce, but you didn't know who it was going to be. Yeah, that's right. I suppose as as far as a transition was concerned, I mean, we came in with the idea of the free running as a start, and that really was going to set the tone for that for the, for the new um, era, because he was just physical and raw, and he wasn't as good as the guy he was chasing. But he didn't stop. And so there were no gadgets. Uh, there was no transport involved. It was unusual, but, but really, you know, it was, it was perfect for Daniel to step into to playing that kind of role. And that really was quite a different um, start to what we'd have done with Pierce. How has Daniel helped you and, and talked with you about how he wants the character to evolve? How much of an input has he had? He's got a strong instinct about what feels right for, for Bond and what, what doesn't. And um, so one listens to that uh, and he just wants it to be really good. You know, he leads from the front. He works really hard. And so everyone wants to make it as good as it can be. I think our thing and his thing is to put Bond through as much hell as possible because that's how he shines it's how he shows what he's got and that was again as neil said in the opening of of casino the free running he's not as good as the other guy 
he keeps falling down, but he keeps getting back up. When Daniel took over Bond, there was all that nonsense about, you know, you can't have a blonde Bond and all this sort of negativity. And he kept going and showed him and won, you know, because that film was a great success. So in a way, he embodies that kind of um, tenacity of Bond. Phoebe Wallerbridge is a new addition to the Legendary series, so I wanted to know what was it like writing for this cinema institution for the first time? So I suppose that legacy of all the different actors, all the different movies, the movies that you've watched, it's inevitable that that's in the back of your mind when you're working on the script. You can't escape that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You totally can't. And there are times when you write the Roger Moore version, you know, and you're like, we can't do that now. You just can't. We need to evolve. Or like just it just changes. And, you know, what feels really fun and kind of silly. There, there is, There's a sort of silliness to those early bonds as well that I always really loved. And there are little elements of that in this. But what's so brilliant now is that it feels grounded and it can also be silly. And I think that it's important that there is that levity and there is that fun as well as it taking itself seriously because Bond never takes himself that he can't take himself that seriously. And yet he's life or death. He's someone that throws himself into the kind of, into the fire like day in, day out and still comes out, you know, with a martini. I mean, we just all want to be him. He's just so aspirational and it's the wit Now I'm just, I mean, I literally can't even remember what question you asked me. I'm just in my Bond bubble. (laughs) And Daniel Craig has got a great sense of humour himself. I don't know if, again, if if that's always something that people realise, but he's a very funny guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's hysterical. And really, like, he's just so open and so fun to work with. I was actually doing my play in New York at the time and he was there. Once I'd sort of got the gig... You know, we spent a lot of time in New York together just really kicking it around and having fun and playing. And, you know, he's very, um, he takes the the job and, and Bond incredibly seriously, but he doesn't really take himself particularly seriously. So you can have uh, so much fun with him. And I did, you know, developing some of the ideas. But, and also he has such a strong feeling of who this man is and what the evolution of him needs to be. And I think when you have an actor as good as Daniel and one who's got such strong instincts, you know, half the job is just listening to what, you know, he wants and then just trying to get it, like hone it to be as to be as close to what he his feeling about it is. And he always wanted it to feel, you know, dangerous and witty and fun as well as, you know, grounded and and you know, action y cool as well. Dangerous, witty and fun. Just some of the tropes of our current James Bond. I spoke to associate producer Greg Wilson and No Time to Die's director, Carrie Fukunaga, to ask about the experience of working with Daniel. Greg has been a core part of the production for all of Daniel's tenure, whereas No Time to Die was Carrie's first time directing a James Bond movie. It has been an amazing you know, journey, this incredible arc of his character and what he's brought to it. And what he sort of did was to change the sort of way in which people think about Bond films. You know, Casino Royale was a very emotional film. I think before that, you know, everyone would always expect when they went to see a Bond film to see a very entertaining movie. They would see the highest quality of uh, stunts and action and effects. And, you know, it would be a great, exciting ride, but I'm not sure people necessarily expected, you know, that it would pack a serious emotional punch at the end. And uh, I think that is now something that we strive for uh, for each of the films. 
you know, I feel that people, you know, I feel that Skyfall was very emotional at the end. And, uh, and this film too, you know, that's, that's entirely due to the way that Daniel has kind of reinterpreted the role and made it his own. Director Carrie Joji Fukunaga. So tell me about coming into that Bond world. I think it's one of those things where uh, it's time and consistency. You know, you show up with the same professionalism as everyone else and you put your time in and you put your your mind and your intelligence to work with with ideas and and it's also about ego too it's about in a collective experience like this with producers that are as involved as they are in the story and the and in caring about the legacy and that the 007 character lives on to to be uh, in another film in another day it's about earning that respect from everyone day to day so you're hoping to give a new angle to Bond? Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a conversation and a negotiation. That's something that comes down to scene to scene. If you're seeing something that um, new in a scene that, uh, that the actor's not seeing, you throw it in there. And oftentimes the actor sees potential uh, in a scene that you haven't uh, noticed yet. And that's the collaboration. It's like it's, we, all, we can only see from one perspective as hard as we try to see from others. And in creating the best scenes, uh, everyone has a, a sort of a thought sometimes that elevates just the mediocre scene to a next level. How long did it take to say yes to directing a Bond movie? Uh, yeah, it definitely was a, a quick decision, but it wasn't a quick process. I, I met with Barbara and Michael and Greg a few times before I met with Daniel and then back with Barbara, Michael and Greg. Um, it was a bit of a dating process. And then, and then finally... Uh, said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, yes. And away we were. Daniel Craig, you've just completed the 25th Bond film, 25th Bond film. What does that mean to you? It's really kind of, when I stop and think about it, when I stop and think what I and a great many people have achieved over five movies, it's, it's really quite emotional because it, it's been nearly 15 years of my life, so that's one thing. But I, I felt with No Time to Die that there was a sort of story to finish off and lots of loose ends that we needed to sort of tie up. And I just feel like, I feel like we've done that. I feel like kind of uh, that, that, that we've, I think we've managed to sort of tell that story and get everything rounded up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm immensely proud of it. Immensely proud. I'm immensely proud of it because of just the, the, the huge collective effort that goes into making a Bond movie and being just a small part of that. It's just, you know, it makes me, uh, it's, it's an honor to be in that position. So what kind of a Bond film have we got here? What I've always been very happy with the way my movies have gone is that we've, it's been a lot about the relationships and how those relationships affect him and how they changes and, and steer his life, uh, whether it's with the bad guy or whether it's the people he works with, like M, like with Judy. Or, uh, and this movie has tackled that head on. So how do you think you have developed the character of Bond? I wanted him to look like a killer and I wanted him to behave like a killer because that's what he is, he's an assassin, that's what he was written as. I kind of wanted the sort of modern take on that. He couldn't really drink and smoke as much as he used to, so I kind of went there, you know, I kind of wanted him to be, to look like he'd just sort of, he'd come out of, you know, some sort of special forces, he'd come out of something like that, so... And one of the things about the end of Spectre, I mean, I genuinely thought maybe that would be my last movie, and probably because I felt physically, was I going to be up to it? But actually, we, we figured it out on this one, that we don't have any less action, and if anything, I kind of just do as much as I've ever done. But we kind of, I play who he is. He's a bit older, he's a bit wiser. He doesn't run through quite as many walls as he used to, you know, he might take the door off, it's hinges clearly, but he'll, he's, uh, you know, he doesn't, he's maybe a bit smarter than he was. 
And can you discuss the development of Bond's relationship with Madeline? Well, you know, he had a one big love affair in his life with Vesper Lynn, and, you know, that kind of ended fairly tragically and tended to sort of, like, make him not trust anybody, really. <laughs> so he's very wary because, you know, you've noticed that most people he has a relationship with tend to kind of die. So he kind of he doesn't, you know, he kind of tends to sort of, like, keep himself to himself. But I think there's a real chance for him to find something in this movie. And, we, and, and at the end of end of um, Spectre, is that he's made um, a definite run for the hills. That he's like he's he's trying to get out. He's trying to kind of drag himself away from this job that is, you know, the hardest thing he does. But ultimately, as we find out, he gets dragged back in. Can you expand on the importance of this love story? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know. Get, get away from the fact that this is a James Bond movie and James Bond movies are action-adventure movies and that, that we've got plenty of that. But I just always... I mean, I think a lot of people would agree to this and that's the way they make action-adventure movies, is, but you have to have some element of truth and, 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 the, and, and the relationships in the movie, if they're real and they feel real, then the audiences care about the characters and feel their, the jeopardy that they're in and, they, and, and, they, and, they, and it's, it's just much more of an, a satisfying emotional journey for an audience if they're, if they're, if they're invested in the characters. So, so there, is, this is, this, there is this love story that starts off, on, but it's complicated. It's really, really complicated and that hopefully makes it um, fascinating to watch. Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli have Bond films in their veins. Their father, Cubby, started the franchise with fellow producer Harry Saltzman, and now the two of them head Bond's production company, E.ON. I asked them how they chose Daniel to be their new star. We were very aware of him for many years. I mean, he, you know, from television, our friends from the North, and the stage work he'd done, and the films he had done, but... I mean, I remember seeing him and so many things. You know, the thing is, he's such a chameleon that he, you know, he would say, oh, my God, he's good. Who's that? You know, it was always him. And um, but I remember in Elizabeth, the film Elizabeth, there was just this shot of him walking down the corridor. And I was I said, my God, this he can do anything. This man, you know, he's lit from within. Do you know what I mean? He, he's when he's on the screen, you can't you can't take your eyes off him. And he's a very generous actor. So it's not like he's doing it on purpose. Do you know what I mean? He just he's just electric, electric on the screen. And I just kept thinking, well, he's the guy and no one came close. And, you know, the big problem was that, of course, he didn't want to do it. So. Um, because I think he thought it was going to change his life dramatically, and he was doing extremely well as an actor, and liked the challenges of that. And um, it took some persuading, but eventually, he sat with Michael and I, and he said, "Well, if I'm going to take this on, I want to be, uh, you know, an integral part of the process. I want to be involved in the scripts. I want to be involved in every element of filmmaking." And uh, we said, "Okay, let's do it." And he has been a tremendous help in, in, in all the aspects. You know, he's super intelligent, I mean, really brilliant about story and characters and drama and what works. You know, he did a lot of training, physical training. Uh, so he does, you know, he does most of the action and he's involved in the kind of the development of the action and everything. So he, he was just a perfect choice. And um, 
you know, at the beginning there was some resistance from, you know, blonde and not blonde and all this nonsense, but... It's so, it feels They're so long ago, all that now, doesn't it? It just seems to have just disappeared. I mean, yeah. uh, those people have eaten their words many times. They have. It did. And, you know, when he said uh, to Barbara and I, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really take this on seriously and really do it, I, I didn't quite understand exactly what he meant by that. But it, he did, you know, he got a trainer and um, he changed himself physically. He actually completely changed his body. It was an amazing... Uh, you know, f focus and dedication to because he said, if I'm going to be Bond, I have to look like I can be Bond. I have to look like I can do it. And he and he really put himself. He, he became a professional athlete. Basically, it was quite quite a transformation. And when you talk about iconic moments, I mean, we we were there in the Bahamas when he walked out of the sea, and that pap shot was taken, and you know went around the world and uh, changed everyone's view. So they finally got to see what we were seeing, that he was an incredible, incredible movie star, incredible actor, and wonderful guy. The, the, the recasting element is, is, again, I mean, it's a, it's a unique thing. I suppose the sort of, the low budget equivalent would be Doctor Who or something like that. But you know it's not a job for life if you take on James Bond. You know that there will be a run and then it will change. So how do you how do you know when that moment is right? When you think, okay, I need to talk to Pierce or I need to talk to Daniel because I think, you know, we've had our we've had our run. Well usually I mean it's it's mutual. I mean I think you come to a point where you all know that it's kind of a good time to, to move on. Um, Daniel, of course, you know, thought after the last one that he wanted to finish. And um, I didn't feel that it was right. I, you know, I said to him, there's still more of your story to tell. And it took him, you know, some time to kind of think it over. And, and then he came back to us and said, no, I think you're right. And so this film is very important. Um, because it does kind of close the chapter on his his tenure, and um, I think it's it's a really extraordinary film, and he's never been better. And it was all started on the big screen by this one man, Sir Sean Connery. I admire your courage, Miss uh... Trench, Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mister Bond. James Bond. In the last year, we've had the sad loss of Sir Sean Connery, the first big screen James Bond. And I asked Michael what memories he had of working with him from the early days. Well, at that time, I was a young fellow in, in college when he, he was starting out. And I only um, saw him occasionally when I went to visit uh, my parents in, in London. And I remember we went to dinner at his house, Jane and I and, and Cubby and Dana in London, and um, he was very charming and, and friendly, and he was a great Bond. I think that's the point. He established the character, and without him, there would have never been a Bond. He was the person who established what Bond was. He had an intuitive sense of playing the role, and you know, I think the directors and the, and the producers and that were helpful but in the end he made it his his own character and how about you barbara i know that that 
you were a, a baby on the set of Doctor No. Um, I think you've got photos rather than memories um, of, of that experience. But tell me your thoughts about Sir Sean Connery and what he meant to the franchise. Well, he's a huge loss, obviously, to the Bond franchise, but to cinema, the greater sort of cinema history as well, because he was such a phenomenon when he first appeared on the screen in Dr. No. And as Michael says, if it weren't for him, we wouldn't all be here 60 years later talking about Bond films. I was very young when this all started, but I do have pretty vivid memories of him in Japan when they were making You Only Live Twice. And he was always extremely lovely to my sister Tina, my brother Tony, and myself. And you know, there is a story about the fact that I got very sick when I was there. I was six years old, and they thought I had sleeping sickness. And we were on this remote island, and he was the only one who had a traditional Western bed. And so he gave up his bed for me because my mother was trying, you know, I had high fevers, and my mother was trying to nurse me. And so he was, you know, he was a dad. You know? He wasn't just a screen icon. He was a dad. He had, so he understood what it was to have a child who wasn't well. And, um, and you know, through the years, I would have the occasional conversation with him. And he was always just lovely. And um, it's a huge loss to us and to so many people who are such fans of his. And obviously to the people who know. What do you think it was that your father saw in him that made him cast him? Well, what Cubby and Harry said was that, you know, the way Fleming described Bond was that he was a coiled spring. And I think that really defines Sean's portrayal of the character. He was someone who was ready at all times to leap into action, whatever that was. And there's that wonderful story about when he came to see them in Audley Square and and when he left the office, they both rushed to the window to look out of the window to watch him walk down Tilney Street and that he walked like a panther. And, you know, he certainly had such extraordinary sort of presence on screen and sexual chemistry. But he was also, because he'd worked a lot on movement, the way he moved, and he had been a dancer, gave him the ease on screen, on camera, of a man who was supremely confident. And that was all very, very relevant and important to the character. And for the future of Bond? No Time to Die will come out. We know that it's Daniel's last film as James Bond. Barbara, do you have a sort of broad idea of, of I don't know, the next 10 years, 20 years, where you want the, the, the franchise to go? <laughs> do you think like that? No, I mean, right now it's about celebrating Daniel's extraordinary achievement over these past films and really, you know, the future um, is to be decided. I mean, we'll have to, once we've opened the film and we've allowed audiences to see it and we've celebrated Daniel, then we'll knuckle down and try and come up with a plan to to tackle the future. But um, for right now, all we want to do is share the movie with the Bond fans, the global audiences, the global theatrical audience.
Well, that's it from this series. I hope you've enjoyed celebrating with us a true British cultural icon. Someone who began in books, became a phenomenon on film, but ultimately whose influence can be seen in so many aspects of our life. And the suspense is nearly over. The 25th film from the legendary franchise is on its way. No Time to Die will bring Daniel Craig's tenure as Bond to a close. But of course, James Bond will be back. No Time to Die, the official James Bond podcast, is produced by Something Else in association with MGM Studios, Universal Pictures International, United Artists Releasing and Eon Productions. 